Candelacha, episode six, right? I think so. Episode five or six. We think so. <laughs> Close enough. Hi, JC. Hey, Amanda. I'm so excited to have you back. I am too. I'm, I'm happy to be back. Last week was a little rough. It my... was. I'm sorry about that. No, it was my fault. Well, I don't think it's a fault. And then, but you're right. It's no, but it's, you know, Thanksgiving, things go astray in our brain places. Yeah, and, and that whole daylight savings time thing happened a couple weeks ago, and that changed, <laughs> you know, that messes with us a little daylight bit. Savings. So, you know, <laughs> anything well. but my disorganization. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm back. Yay! So, yay. Yes. And uh, very excited to have you back. And excited, our guest this week, Clark Kissick. That's right. I'm excited because Clark actually reigns from uh, back in my old st- stomping ground, my, my home. So, I love that. I've uh, been in Lexington, like I said, in the last episode for about 13 years, but uh, kind of reigned from a little east of here. And mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to have Clark on. He, uh, I think, is a very up-and-coming musician here in Kentucky. He's been doing some things. You just put out an album. And we can talk about that in a little bit. And I'm just really happy that um, that you're joining us today. To talk. I, I hope I'm up and coming because if I'm if I'm on the way down, then boy, it's not good. <laughs> well, it's, you know, I can tell you some stories. I, I don't know if you know about my background, but it's it's a wave. You're, oh, yeah. you're, you're riding a wave, man. It's, I always kind of say life's like my at least my life's like a roller coaster. You yeah, know? it's. And and if it wasn't that way, we wouldn't have behind the music. By the way, I don't. Well, yeah. I don't. I think I just aged myself. I know that. I, don't I know think that. it exists anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the whole point of behind the music is that literally every musician has that like that ebb and flow of like and how they destroyed their entire career in <laughs> Act Three. Yeah. And yeah. then they came back Act He's, Four. You're just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> So I burned my whole life down, and then I decided to do it again. So. Yeah. <laughs> but exactly. you know what? While we get that in all areas of life, I think for an artist and for a musician, uh, what's great about that is uh, you get to paint the picture then. Yeah. You get to retell the story. You get to write the song. And uh, and that's a whole other album. Yeah, I mean, yeah. for sure. So there's a positive in all that. It is. There so, always yeah. is. Absolutely. So should we we'll start this out, Clark? We're, we're going to come to you and your stories in just a second but we're going to start this episode like we do all of our episodes and we're going to talk about cannabis news this now in and cannabis news <laughs> that's my that's my old time a telegram noise <laughs> so uh before the show uh we kind of you know always kind of talk about what what news clips that we've found and what we want to talk about and today's is something we both i think feel fairly passionate about that's yeah. happening so we're just going to use that one and we're both going to talk about it but i'm madder than a hatter Well, I mean, we talked about Ohio a couple weeks ago and how the people of Ohio had voiced their opinion and said, you know what, we want weed. Mm -hmm. And so now all of a sudden their uh, leaders have decided, oh, well, we're going to before we do that, let's let's put the brakes on and let's say um, no home grows. Can't do that. Uh, We're going to increase the tax on it and we're not going to put the tax where you really thought it was going to go. We're going to put it somewhere else. So ultimately just gut it, change it all. So to get into specifics, the people of Ohio voted yes on their bill i can't remember i'm not ohioan so i didn't i wasn't there to vote on it but they voted uh in favor of of recreational cannabis 
they already have medical there. Uh, and uh, one of the one part of the bill stated that Ohioans could grow uh, up to six plants per person, 12 per household in their own homes. And uh, that was actually due to to start to begin on uh, this Friday, December 8th, is when you could legally grow marijuana in your own home and um, or THC cannabis. Uh, and uh, this last night, late at night, uh, the uh, a certain demographic of legislatures, you know, I don't want to I don't want to be too bipartisan here, but um you know, I think they've specifically come out. The GOP has come out and said that um, they are uh, not interested in allowing Ohioans' voices to be heard. They don't care what the people want, and they are going to gut the bill. And the first thing they're going to do is remove the the legalization of growing your own THC cannabis. Yeah, and uh, uh, when we talk about that, too, you know, in past episodes, I've spoke about how I have friends and, and people that I care deeply about that uh, range from both both parties yeah. in this country. And, and I think we have way too much division um, in, in our commonwealth and, and specifically in our nation. Uh, but when we're looking at Ohio specifically here, um, I don't think this really does any favors for the GOP in Ohio for the fact that at some point, regardless of what party you're from, mm -hmm. when the will of the people when they have spoken, uh, if you're supposed to be a leader, then you need to listen, you know, and I think uh, the people of Ohio, they know what they want. And I think one of the biggest um, hurdles or well, not hurdles, but one of the things that really um, frustrated me today when I was reading an article about how a specific, I think, senator there said, well, we're doing this because I don't want mold in my weed or I don't want fentanyl in my weed. Well, I don't want mold in my weed or fentanyl in my weed either. But that's why you know, I want to grow it in my own that's house. That's right. Yeah. What is the easiest way of doing it? Grow it at home. You know why? Because, you know, if you know how to make good compost tea, if you know what to feed your plants, you don't put pesticides on it, you know what's going in it. And it's not only that. But for the people who are sick or veterans who are on a budget or a limited income and they can't afford some of some of the cannabis they need, they have the ability to grow their own. So we have this this issue where that's what you say you're doing. But we all know when the government gets involved in something. Well, come on. You know, I mm -hmm. don't want the government growing my weed. No, no. But and it all goes back to follow the money. Right. Right. Because exactly. what, what did they do? They said, oh, you can't grow it yourself at home. You have to go out and buy it from where we have our fingers in it, our thumbs in the pie. And we're going to increase the taxes on it right. than what you voted for. And, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with... Um I think honest taxation. I mean, sure. it costs money uh, for programs and stuff to happen. Uh, however, you know, ultimately the people, I think we're looking at this and they were thinking, okay, some money will go into social programs. So we've talked about how Missouri was able to give over, I think now we're looking at over $39 million this past year to their veterans who need it for medical care, legal aid, uh, whatever it might be, which is a type of social program. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, uh, there's a lot of arguments about welfare in this country, but when we're talking about veterans we're talking about people that have risked life and limb so that we can sit here and have this conversation yes. and now that they're they're living a life where they're suffering and their leaders are like oh well you know well you can't grow your weed at home but you can buy it down here but you can't afford it i mean come on mm -hmm. something's got to be done here and um i i think that you know this is something that if i was living in ohio and i had voted for this and this was happening i'd be pissed off 
I'd be pissed off. And those people that are in their chambers right now saying that we're undoing everything that the Ohioans voiced, uh, you would not have a job. Right. I would do everything in my power to make sure you did not have your job next next time around. You know, as many would say back home, uh, sometimes those positions need to be changed like your underpants. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like, it's, uh, I mean, they have like a direct referendum vote kind of thing like that. Like that's the most like direct democracy thing, the version that we have. Like you vote on one bill, you know, and everybody gets to put in their, if you want to go vote on it, you can go vote on it and you can decide and like, no, we're, okay, we're going to back out on that. Like, we need this guy sitting in northern North Cleveland to right? go, you know. And it's the most bipartisan. It's because my understanding is that it was it was a bill that was drafted, like, by people. It was not drafted right. by the mm-hmm. legislation. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, I can, you can't quote me or, or verbatim on this, but since it wasn't an amendment to their constitution— and I don't know the other term. It's like slipping my mind. Uh, the way that this happened, though, it allows the legislative body there to then go in and, I mean, they could scratch the whole thing if they wanted or they can change it to whatever they want. Correct. And ultimately what they've done when I look at this is they've quickly, because they want to do this as an emergency, but an emergency I think takes two-thirds of the legislative body to do so, uh, is they're earmarking it in an alcohol bill mm-hmm. to make this happen. Uh, I know that I also read an article that the ACLU in Ohio is slamming them hard over this. Yes. And, um, you know, I just I think at this point we have to start asking some really hard questions uh, in this country that why is it so deeply concerning that a plant, a plant that countries across the globe are using and have used. We have, is it 37 now? 38. 38, that's right. States have Um, some form of legalization. and, And here we are. I mean, that's over half our country. The people are speaking... Yeah. And our leaders need to listen. Yeah. And, and you know, having some guidelines, great. No issue. But when you are turning around and doing the complete opposite of what the will of the people, what they want, you are no longer leading, you are dictating. Correct. It's not cool. It's not. Not at all. You might need to write a song <laughs> about that. Yeah, for sure. You should. I think it's I think it's a good <laughs> sign. It's, it's the new, you know. It's the... the Power to the people. Power to the people. No, no. Power away from the people. My husband is just shaking (laughs) his head. No. No. Let's not do that. It's it's weed, guys. It's not that serious. It's, it's, well, (laughs) you know, there's a a lot of things that uh, I think about and with substance abuse of all different types. We've talked about how, you know, we can abuse anything in this life, all the way up to food, whatever that may be. Um, but I do believe that cannabis, and we say this over and over, it it has its purpose, and it yes. and uh, if we could get past the reefer madness and and uh, the um, what I think is um, money hunger over it, if we there's plenty to go around for everyone involved, I think there's a lot of healing here for our land, our people, our health, our wellness, all of that, and uh, we need we need to take an initiative as as a country on this and the leaders really need to be listening i believe yeah yeah would you agree i totally agree I and mean, we might it might you know like be something we talk about later but I, I like i've even got to where like i don't know like i used to think that it would if let's say like now joe biden comes up and says i'm for just legalization all across the board like i always thought well that'll win a uh, that'll win you an election. Never really understood for 20 years why it didn't just 
but it's gone so far now that like, I don't even think it would. Everybody would be like, uh, 38 of 50 states would just go, right. That's okay, it's Tuesday, you know? Yeah. And like it, but you still just keep spinning the same circles and just regurgitating the same. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I just like Kentucky, for instance. I remember one of the back couple months ago, they were talking about, uh, like, oh, we need to study it more. And right. like, I mean, I even like, even my parents are like, Study what? What? <laughs> like, what? What more do you need? <laughs> like, there's so much anecdotal evidence, and not. I mean, there's but there's books published from medical professionals from the West Coast who have been treating patients for decades. There's there's medical literature yeah. dating back to the 1940s. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. The 1940s. But expo- the expo- the goodness of we. I've got that. St- Stupid song in my head. And sorry. And taste I, the goodness of the weed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we can go even further. And and uh, if I'm saying the name right, I think it was O'Shaughnessy. But if we go all the way back, there's some literature written. Uh, I think it was an Irishman. And it goes all the way back to the mid to late 1800s uh, with the use of uh, cannabis and cannabis extracts being used medically. Yeah. So I mean, it, I mean, it was used in the ancient days of Asia and India and all of these places. When they and, uprooted that, when they uprooted, when they <laughs> excavated that that giant. Do you know about the the giant lady with the glass eye? No. <laughs> Tell me about it. I mean, I'm interested now. Do you know her? She Ar- lives down the street. <laughs> <laughs> no, no archaeologists uh, excavated the, a tomb of what they believed to be a high priest. She was like six foot two. They know it was a woman because archaeologists do the things with the skeletons. She was like six foot two, buried. But she had a glass, a, this giant golden eye, glass eye. It was a, it was a big thing. And it was either glass or gold or glass painted gold, something to that effect. And she had all these like other gold artifacts with her and a bag of weed. <laughs> she sounds like a cool Bond villain, <laughs> right? <laughs> and just wait till she winks at you with the gold. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, so she was some kind of high priestess and Greco Roman. I don't know exactly what Irish high cat. Hey there. So, by the way, just so you know, Claire, we have tried to lock these cats up in the back bathroom. Um, They're escape artists. They know how to get out. (laughs) So we just deal with them now. Yeah. (laughs) They heard we had uh, catnip. Yeah. So. But, But, um, yeah, no. So literally, I mean, since pretty much like the dawn of humanity, we are aware of, of different cultures using cannabis for various reasons both medicinal and uh spirit both there are three things spiritual i can't speak today it's okay spiritual medicinal (laughs) and recreational that's correct and and you know and not to forget the other parts that we know of as the hemp plant part of cannabis but even the fibers and stuff and we've had a lot of issues in those regulations because of of marijuana um and you know ultimately i say over and over and like you say it's like we just keep spinning the wheel and kicking the can but um we really just need true cannabis legislation we need it as a whole family uh, for all of its purposes and have some uh, minor yeah. regulations there. But we are living in the wild, wild west of that. Yeah. So, um, 
But yeah, I don't know. I think Ohio, I'm really hoping that the people are going to stand up and speak about that. And I think they had until yesterday evening to voice um, their public opinion. Obviously, this episode will air in January. So by the time you folks are hearing this, we will know what happened in Ohio. Um, but I think if if the, the leaders, uh, if the people decide that what the leaders are doing is overstepping the power, I think they need to make their voice heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Agreed. And I hope that the other states and commonwealths in our nation will take heed. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be good. I think that'd be good. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So So, let's move forward. Moving on to Clark. Yeah. So Clark, one of the things we like to do, JC and I have talked about our history with cannabis use. Mm -hmm. And I always like to start off with a fun story. So do you remember the first time? I do. Oh, Uh, tell us about it. I'm not going to say no, any names. <laughs> Protect the innocent. But, and then, you know, I got to thinking about it on the way up here, and, like, it probably could have taught me a couple lessons about, like, uh, how this is going to go, like, in life and everything. But, like, uh, the first, and it's like I always said, like, kind of, you know, uh, some of my struggles in life and things that I, you know, I always, uh, we could talk about that later and everything, but... I was not the first one. Like, I was always considered the one that was uh, leading the group of, like, oh, he's the one out there, like, ripping and running on the roads and partying and stuff. And then I was the last one mm-hmm. out of all my friends. Like, uh, like I could go through almost all of them, and, like, they all, you know, tried alcohol and weed and all that stuff before me. And, you know, now I, I'm a bit of a competitor, and uh, <laughs> I took that at a young, um, ignorant, youthful age that, like, I'm going to be the best, you know, I'm going to be the best at whatever I do, you know, and that's, that's very youthful and ignorant of me, uh, I guess, you know, I've learned that's the, learned that the hard way. Fair um, enough. But like, I always, you know, uh, one of my buddies, uh, we, we were, uh, out at a farm party and like, they, they kept, they talked about how much they liked weed and how much they liked smoking and all this stuff. And they would, you know, like typical high schoolers are just like, they hit just barely the like I just one little hit off a joint and just act like they were man it was just the craziest experience you know it was just wild <laughs> seeing pink elephants yeah man. yeah but <laughs> I always said like you know like one of my buddy's girlfriends she um she as we progressed to get older she became a little bit more straight laced and um didn't party as much didn't go out as much and stuff but I always would remind her that she was the first person to cut a Powerade bottle open and make a little gravity bong out of it uh out of uh, she went into my parents um tool chest and got like a little um, ra- ratchet socket or whatever nice and she mm-hmm. made like a little gb and everything <laughs> and it was and like the ones that know her name and everything they're like uh, that's insane you know like that's crazy <laughs> that, and like not only was it the first person but, like she knew she knew how to do it all you know i love it is and, she like a pastor's wife now you don't have to answer uh, that no <laughs> no um <laughs> Maybe in the medical profession. Cool. Well, <laughs> like, that know, could serve some good purpose. A very, right? very serious job. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, but, and like they, you know, I understand people grow up and stuff over time and they take, go their different paths and things. But, um, like you, we had talked to, I've had plenty of, I don't know, funny ones, I guess would be the worst. Now, for mm-hmm. a long time there at the beginning, it was, I, I didn't really, I didn't like, and the war- weird part about that was, that day I smoked and I was like, I just remember I was, I kept thinking, well, this didn't do anything to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was, uh, 
bad, bad, like when it came to drinking, like I just, I was like, man, I'm a tank. I'm a big, bad son of a gun. I can just, and that was my like, oh, I can, I'm indestructible. Like I just felt like I could, and I, weed at that time just wasn't enough for me. Hmm. Um, but then I went and played football at UK and uh, I can tell you, I know for a fact that I didn't smoke weed at UK because I guess, and the only thing I've ever, I, that was the summer going into my freshman year of college. I had to have had something in my system because the first day I got to UK, they drug tested me, you mm. know, and, or they, and I got, I, I got signed. I was a red shirt walk on. Uh, that's called, uh, when the NCAA comes knocking, you're going to go take the test, gotcha. not, uh, our starter, <laughs> you know, uh, you're going down there. So 5 AM every morning, I'd have to go down there and take that drug test and have, some NCAA officials standing there watching me pee and stuff. You know, it's very, 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 very fun thing to do. I guess I must have failed the first one or showed traces of something. I had to do that every single week except for like two during my entire, like what, there's 12 weeks and there's two weeks of bye weeks. So at 14 weeks, I had to go take this drug test and show and never did pop for anything else, you know. But the day that I quit... I was like, I texted my buddy and I was like, Hey, come on. I'm coming to your house. You Bring know? me the gravity. Bomb. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and we smoked there and it like, wasn't really my thing still kind of at that time. Like I was still really partying. And, uh, when we moved on state street, I lived on state street for, Whoa. for two years, not just one. Um, now if I tap out at 45, that's probably because <laughs> from those, those years, uh, but I lived on State Street and like we were partying and partying and partying and it just was getting worse and worse and worse. And one of my roommates that moved in with me, he had he was trying to lose weight and he couldn't lose weight drinking, so he started smoking. And and I've always told him, like, man, you're like me and you are polar opposites. Like he was always a Tupac uh, and I was always a biggie guy. He was always a Kobe. I was a LeBron. <laughs> he lost weight smoking weed. I put on a hundred, <laughs> you know, like it's, uh, it just wasn't anything. And, but like we started smoking in the house and stuff and it just kind of, you know, and I was like, I went through my grateful dead phase and all the mm -hmm. typical, like, Oh, you smoke weed now guy things. And like, it kind of, uh, you know, it, it I really, it, it was more of like over a couple years that like I really transitioned into it. But then it, there was just like one day I woke up and was like, I don't ever want to drink again. Like yeah. I just, and I'm like, I've, like we talked about earlier, you know, that was kind of what I used to, as a, a form of sobriety, you know. Yeah. And, um, but I, you know, for. Call it California sober. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, kind of, yeah. And uh, it, it was. Uh, you know, and like, obviously you're still living in college and like you're partying all the time and you're still going out to the bars and all that stuff. But it, um, I, I did notice that there was like, it was like, I felt the, for the first time that there was a light at the end of the tunnel with that stuff that like there was an alternative. There was a, it was the first time I guess I'd really realized that that was a, you know, an yeah. option, I guess. And I also, the funny part is like, I'm a bad asthmatic. And like, like bad, <laughs> like I had to have my inhaler in the tray at UK. Like, you know, it was so embarrassing. You pull it up and there's like seven inhalers in there and you got two of them, you know, and there's a hundred men on this roster. It's like, okay, I'm the guy with asthma. And there were plenty of other guys that had it and stuff, obviously. But like, you know, like, and like I had, the weird part about me was I would try, like you get drunk, you try to smoke cigarettes or something. Like it just, I mean, I, I'll cough until I pass out. Like, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. I can't, like, and 
I've always said it's a blessing. Like, it's great. You know, I literally can't smoke cigarettes. So it's, you know, that'll help me out. Um, but like weed, I could. It was, uh, you know, I, my, I, my brother had a, a professor at uh, Moorhead that he had done some, like, uh, some tests on his son uh, that was a cigarette smoker for years. Oh. And like his thing. And like, I came with that theory one day. I was like, man, I don't know how to explain it, but like, weed ain't nearly as bad as, as cigarette smoke. I said, now I don't know if that's real science or whatever, but, and he was like, well, he's like, uh, my professor, I don't give his name out or whatever, but he came back in and was like, he came with those same results. Like he, you know, he tested on his son and like his auction levels went up and all this stuff. And like, and oddly enough, you know, I go to get my uh, oxygen test all the time at the allergist and like they, uh, my oxygen levels went up multiple times it's it's, it's it's interesting because there are there is some literature out there that shows that certain terpene profiles in certain strains of cannabis work as a bronchial dilator so yeah, uh that, so that uh, is a great possibility the only way i could describe it was like you know i always like even running and stuff i would feel like a congestion in my chest mm -hmm. and i don't know if i just you know you start coughing one day or something and i just woke up and i was like i can i can inhale and i can breathe and i can and I, you know, me being stupid and young again, you know, I was like, well, I'll try cigarettes and see if that worked. And it didn't work. And I was like, oh, that's weird. You know, it doesn't add up. But, um, but it definitely, it, it, it's, I don't know if it's, it hadn't hurt as much like I thought it would, I guess. I don't know if, and I'm not advising, not a medical doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I am not telling you to open, to end your asthma with Smoke weed. joints. <laughs> well, there are, your asthma. smoke kids. You heard it here. <laughs> but you know, there are places across the country where people actually consume cannabis and do yoga and work mm -hmm. out and yeah. do those things. And some people find that they lift better mm -hmm. or their, the, their resilience is a little more. And it may be from the fact that A, it's anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. and yeah. that maybe the strain they're using is a bronchial dial later allowing increased oxygen levels we uh I, that's we had a my my yeah after my senior year of football um i had two of my teammates come up and they were uh, they were trying to get me to smoke that after at that time and i was like dude i'm going to uk i ain't messing this up like i know i'm going to get drug tested the school was drug testing in the end you know we had a really strict principal and stuff and he uh uh you know they, they were and they were trying to get me to do it and i was like no no i'm good man i'm good and uh one of them was like and I said something about I don't want to mess up like, you know, I got to work out tomorrow for UK or whatever. And I was like, did you notice that I got really, really good at uh, catching the ball this year and I was dropping a lot of passes previously? I was like, yeah, you know, you played pretty good this year. And he's like, stoned every game. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I shouldn't have done it. He's like, but I'm telling you now. He's like, I was in the zone. Smoke weed daddy every day. He's like, we sneak off right, you know, at 4 o'clock. And he's like, yeah, we had to be back at 445, you know, whatever. And he's like, we just have to go for a ride, you know. And uh, he, I, and the more, and the more I was going on, I was like, I guess you got in the right zone, you know, if you got, if, you, if everything was right. Right. You would, like, it'd be just, dissecting a, you know like it'd be cutting defenses up would be easy like it would just be but then there'd be the times that like you'd forget the receivers even out there <laughs> like, so that's what yeah so because i've i felt i kind of had to quit smoking regularly because so i'm an actor and i've told the story a million times now but i was on a tv show called carnival and uh it was there that i realized my short-term memory was good I was wake and bake and then getting to set and being handed a new script and mm -hmm. I could not tell you what was going on. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So that was kind of a problem for me. Um, 
but focus is so i think it's like when you have muscle memory and you can focus on things but trying to remember or know what's happening in a given moment like those are two very two very different i want to learn more about like actual effects neurological effects like in the moment Mm -hmm. like yeah i know that there has to be studies where they're like someone's smoking joints with one of those things on their head Watching things change on the yeah. charts. What is happening? What is actually happening with our like different parts of our brain, and how yeah. is it being affected? Cause... Well, and um, I've been doing a lot of reading about GABA and how that works with neurotransmitters, and specifically between the the uh, the mind and and the stomach. And uh, that's a very interesting topic to get into. And when you start to look at cannabis and its components and the cannabinoids and stuff, you'll find how that kind of works with GABA levels as well. So, um, you know, for listeners, I won't get into uh, a a deep discussion on that, but you can just go Google those things. And while everything is not true on Google, uh, you look for some scholarly articles and read about that. And um, as we start to build maybe our website, we'll start putting some some links out there for folks too yeah. for those things. Um, if we can, um, are, are we I, moving on? Let's, I want to move on to maybe. Or, well, I think know, like to your point that you yeah. just made about like uh, people always make the jokes like oh uh, you know like well just smoke and you'll be able to write you know and thing and and I'm like I was always a good writer going up in school and stuff and I was, I'm like a storyteller and all that stuff and so that that comes natural and like. I've found I've tried to cut back a lot mm-hmm. just because like I I was talking this morning I was looking and like I hadn't written a song since May mm. and I've sat down a hundred times to try to write but I just had and I people call it writer's block or whatever and it's probably some of that you know I'm just busy during the summer and I was frustrated on a lot of things and it's just not a lot to necessarily write about but like I've found myself with like all these great ideas like multiple albums worth of great ideas that are like I've already got the idea I know what the story is I know everything I just need to kind of put the words and not use the same words over and over again and I would find myself like that just it just wouldn't come you know it would just and that's and I had mentioned that to some people like I think you know the short-term stuff is kind of starting to you know and I, I there was a time that I was especially like during COVID and all that, I would get, I don't know if abuse would be the word of it, but it was like, well, yeah. I was pushing well, the limits of the, it. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, my husband and I went through at the very beginning of COVID. You think, oh, we're going to be here for like, it's a six week vacation. Yeah. yeah it's going to be great. on week eight, you're like, I am still <laughs> yeah. drinking whiskey at noon. <laughs> yeah. I think that was a lot. Yeah. Of folks, yeah. we were all indulging in everybody, something. Yeah. Everybody looks like a feral cat. Came, like we all just turned into hedonism in our own home. <laughs> but yeah no but as a I feel I know exactly where you're coming from uh, not a songwriter per se but like I um just creativity well I I, I, I am an unpublished screenwriter yeah so I have I've several I've never had him ever take one of my songs either so we're, we're both in it I have several screenplays that I've I've written and I find that when I'm you know in talk different stories come out i tend to get drunk and think of horror stories and i'd smoke weed and think of more like esoteric you know weird feminism female power shit but uh yeah and so the idea is is intubated when i'm intoxicated but when i sit down to actually write dialogue Mm -hmm. it's it's not happening everybody winds up sounding like uh like a 
you know, Sean Penn and, and Fast Times. <laughs> it's like perfect examples. I had a song. I found this, um, and before this comes out, this reminds me, I'm going to have to write this song in the next month. So, uh, But I'll give this song idea up because I, I was in Peru with my brother. We were backpacking through South America. And, uh, well, he was. I flew down for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, he, he had, like, crossed for, uh, Colombia into Peru on a chicken bus uh, with, like, a little black bag and got searched by the, like, the uh, border patrol and everything wow. there. Like, uh, but yeah, so he was a lot more, his was a lot more extreme than mine, but we were in this place called Huacachina and it was just like essentially a desert oasis. And it was, it's a two day story and it's the most insane thing I've ever done. And it's a two day story of how we even got there. Hmm. And so we wound up in this place. We, I have no, I don't even really, it's the most insane thing I've ever just done, uh, spontaneously. It worked out great. It was awesome. Love Could happens. have been terrible. <laughs> right. Could have been a bad experience. <laughs> Um, but like I was up in, um, we were, uh, we were uh, in these sand dunes, you know, like boogie boarding off of them. And, uh, I found there was just in the middle of nowhere in the desert, there was a seashell sitting there. And like, I just, I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, it's crazy. Like this used to be an ocean bed, you know? So I took a picture of it, never thought anything about it. Well, I'm just like flipping through and the anniversary of that came up, like probably it was this probably February this year. And I'm like looking down and I'm, you know, I'm sitting there smoking and everything. And I see that. And I, all of a sudden, all these ideas just start pouring in. Like it's a seashell in the desert. He's sitting there waiting for, you know, his love to come back or he's waiting for the old times to come back and all this stuff. Like he's just this dinosaur sitting, he's this dinosaur fossil sitting here waiting. And like he lives in the desert now. And there was a time he's at the bottom of the sea, living it up, man, you know, having the best life. And I've not been able to write one second of it. Mm -hmm. But, like, I have, like, that idea, and, like, I would never think of that sober. Right. <laughs> it's just, like, I just, <laughs> it's, yeah. like, you're just looking at, yeah, that's a cool seashell, you know, mm -hmm. go to the next one. And, but you see that, and you're, like, there's, like, uh, there's, like, ten layers of depth to this that I could go. And yeah. uh, he could be missing home. He could be missing, uh, you know, his love. He could be, yeah, you know, whatever it may be. And, um, but it's definitely kind of that same, you know, like, it's, I guess there's it's it's a good sweet median is yeah. what you're looking for I guess, but and and it's the ebb. Of, sorry, I'm just gonna help you out right now as a writer. It's the ebb and flow of life because yes. at some point that desert's gonna be back under the ocean again. Mm -hmm. There we go. <laughs> See, I think you just may have <laughs> given me the final ending to this. It's, it's, I'm glad I did this already. Yeah. So ba maybe by the time this gets aired, maybe. Maybe we'll, we'll maybe here. Well, hopefully, global warming won't happen that yeah. quite that Well, no. hopefully, he's not back. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot more problems with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, the next question I mean, we, we kind of talk about uh, cannabis use. So, would you say that you've used cannabis or you do use cannabis for, uh, uh, for medical reasons? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I. I I don't know necessarily, like, one, for me, like, and some people that knew me probably 10 years ago would, like, I have terrible anxiety now. Mm -hmm. um, I, I used to not have it, um, you know, and and some of that I've worried that marijuana, you know, I, some of it definitely is that, just, like, getting too high and not being able to go in Walmart. But, like, it, uh, <laughs> I think we've, we've all experienced we've, that. Yeah, so, we've yeah. all told that story. And, uh, but it, it's, you know, anxiety was one that it really, you know, I, I'm diagnosed bipolar. Um, I, they put me on all kinds of medication and stuff. 
I just became even the side of me that like I mentioned that roller coaster earlier. Like mm-hmm. that was it was just like everything was either the highest of high or the lowest of low. Like there was just no normal day, you know, and it just um and we I tried you know with the the, the bipolar stuff like medicine works some but you just I mean they just put you on like like they were literally just trying stuff with me right. and like you know I'd had family members that had had something similar and they would just put them on all this different medication like they were just not like I mean one of them he just became like a whole entirely different person not and then he got off of it and he went back to being just normal old self and it was like that's much easier to deal with than the other and I the bipolar was probably the biggest, you know, and I'd be a sellout and say, I mean, I've got every ache and pain from football. Like I was a big fat old quarterback mm-hmm. uh, playing in Eastern Kentucky football. Um, people, my sophomore year, they discovered that uh, he's not allowed to hurdle and we can just bust him at the knees and he'll fall over like a sack of potatoes. And boy, I would. And I just would take beating and beating. My knees are awful. And like, even when I've lost weight, even when I'm in health, I always say it, I've lost 70 pounds three times in my life. <laughs> um, I can lose 20 pounds like that tomorrow. You know, my knees don't feel any different. Yep. <laughs> like 70, 100, whatever you take off of them, they are busted up all to pieces. Um, and really, uh, you know, the, the, and the one time I crushed my foot, rock, I used to be, I used to rock blast. And, um, I dropped out of college and, you know, I wound up on this job and it, uh, I crushed my foot and, uh, like it was, I didn't have to have surgery, but like it was a, it was a bad deal. I had frostbite in the middle of August, uh, in Kentucky. That's, uh, you know, and, uh, it just kind of, you know, it's like Garth Brooks is in here, thunder's rolling and everything. <laughs> yeah. I was like, and, uh, I wasn't expecting yeah, that. I was like, I didn't know it was going to rain. Is that a thunder uh, snow? But like the, when they gave me all these pain pain pills and stuff, and I had partied enough and known at that point that that was not a good situation for mm-hmm. me to be in. I was laying in a bed uh, with my foot crushed. Uh, I was dating a girl at the time. We broke up the week after I crushed it. Um, so I just literally sat in this room for like three months. I lived by myself. My parents wanted me to move back in with them for that time. So, you know, and I just was kind of, a, I was like, I just need to be by myself for a little while. Like I was bad, 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 depressed and things. And I just sat in there and smoked every day. And instead of, and like, I just refused to take those painkillers. Mm-hmm. And man, there were some bad days, you know, like every, like, like if it's going to rain, I probably should have known it. You know, my foot was aching today. And, but we like, it made those things. So, I mean, it's the only way I could have gone through it. Like I, it just, just the very basic fact of like numbing to all that other like it was because if not it was going to be percocet or whatever it was they gave me and it was like buddy let me tell you something that this ain't gonna end good (laughs) and it's interesting (laughs) i'm laid up here for 60 days with nothing but percocet like yeah it's it's, and it's interesting that you bring that up and share that because i think i thinking about your story i think about the many of eastern kentuckians who over the years, if we had had cannabis legislation here, um, might not have suffered the way they did when it come to the op- the opioid addiction that we had here. And of course, you know, we know that there is a lot of um, 
Um, I don't know how I really want to put that, but there was a lot of movement to make that happen anyway uh, uh, for financial gain. Yeah. I, I do believe so. Uh, but to think about how, you know, you're sharing your story and how that helped you and you knew ahead yeah. of time. And I'm not against Western allopathic care, but mm-hmm. in this country, we've abused it in ways. Yeah. And for you to know that, I mean, that that's awesome that you were able to take care of yourself that way. It's deep down, it's probably like, the smartest thing I've ever done in my life. Like the most, it's the most mature thing that I've probably done in my adult life. And, you know, it was like one of those things you can't like go up and tell your dad, look, hey, I didn't take these Percocets uh, that they gave me or these always, I had like, they gave me muscle relaxers, painkillers. Like it was just, I mean, and and I get it. Like my foot was four times the size of my other one. Um, It was black. I had frostbite. It was growing. They thought there was, there was three times they talked to me about amputating it. Wow. Um, and I would have to go home and sit by myself waiting for that next doctor's visit. And it's like, well, if it's better next week, we're all right. You know, it's like, yeah, well, we just sit here and look at it. And just, <laughs> you know, I convinced myself like, well, I might get like a nice little like a Captain Hook peg leg or something, you know, like I went through all that stuff. Yeah. And it but it like that, you know, I've used. So that's my example best of like physical. But it is and like what you said. I mean, I could sit here and name. I mean, just a bottomless list of people that just were just had a job driving for the mail and had a back surgery and then the next mm-hmm. thing they're just they're like in jail every other day mm-hmm. you know and like you wake up like how you had two kids and a wife like and you had normal life and, yeah and it's like well that didn't just happen you know they didn't just wake up one day and say me did it and, yeah, and, and I've known a lot of people from back home. Uh, you know, I, when I introduced myself on the first episode, I, you know, kind of that whole Oingsville Mount Sterling thing, we're kind of at the foothill, the gateway of the Appalachian Mountains. And so when we, we talk about that, you know, eastern, far eastern Kentucky got hit really hard with that epidemic. But um, looking back home at, at the numerous of pe- like friends of mine mm-hmm. I've watched suffer, uh, folks that I went to school with, mm-hmm. uh, people who were mentors, friends of my parents. My uh, mother is an opioid addict, by the way. And, an mm-hmm. active opioid addict for for decades now. So, and, and many of them start with an injury or something mm-hmm. that was not planned, complete accident, and never in their life did they see that coming. And and you don't. And even like looking back now, like I realized like there were family members mm-hmm. that were just really good at hiding it. Um, yeah, okay. They and some of them, it's like I'm be honest, it was kind of impressive. Like you know, and <laughs> and and it it sucks for them because they had to just just put on a like before I can just I mean looking back now it's like before they turn the corner they have to like collect themselves you know yeah um and and like you know I, I've it's not a story I'm necessarily proud to tell of Bath County but like we were in Florida or we were coming home from Florida for a vacation one time when I was a kid and we got pulled over on Jellico and like my dad is like very straight laced like he don't he's not speeding he's not you know um and uh he we get pulled over and he's like as soon as he gets and i've only been with him like once or twice and if he gets pulled over he becomes irate because he's like i do not break the law (laughs) like i do you know but so we get pulled over and like we're just stuffed to the back got bags and stuff all in through it and he comes up and he's kind of looking and he looks back and sees us sitting back there and and uh he said uh where you know where y'all been from? Where I don't come home from vacation, and he's uh, he's like, oh okay, well, so he walks back to the car, comes back, and he's like, ah, sir, I'm sorry, I you know I'm sh- I'll let you go. He's like, I'm not even giving you a warning. Uh, he's like, we're 
we're actually right now, he's like, for the next two weeks, we're supposed to pull over any cars we see from Pike, um, Pike, Johnson, Letcher, uh, McGoffin, and Bath County. Mm. And uh, I think Menifee was on there too. Wow. And um, it was just like, oh, you know. And I remember, like, that's so that's probably like 2007, 2008. And it, it's kind of nothing uh, explains me more and explains how, what situation I'm or like how I view the world than like I was like middle school, high school. And Bath County is going through, we had two factories close. We had like the highest opioid death rate in the state, which mm -hmm. was going to, whatever county in West Virginia might beat us, like would make us in the country. And you know, you had like I remember my dad at work had like three customers die in one week, you know, and it was just and like once those factories closed, it was just we we had um, they like went back and like uh, did some stuff. Uh, we're looking at some numbers and like. We our unemployment rate, and people don't believe this, like, but it's it's real. Like, Bath County during they call it a recession. Bath County was at thirty six percent unemployment during the recession. It's like if you do a little Great Depression research, we went in a recession. We were in a depression, and people just like, oh, yeah, you all just you all just need to toughen it up and go learn to code and stuff. And it's like, well, we're, we don't even have coal, <laughs> you know. Like we're, but it uh, that. Like and it it just explains like why there's no there's no way there's not a direct correlation between yeah. us having thirty six percent unemployment and having the highest death or opioid death rate mm -hmm. in America. You know that that's that didn't just come out of nowhere. Yeah. And that that's the part that always like really um, that kind of set where how I view those. You know how I view like just marijuana in general, like all those. You know, it just. Uh, it's sad. It's it, yeah. It is, and one of the things I like to think about about that is uh, a lot of times when I talk to people about or the topic comes up of of abuse of of addiction mm -hmm. is really what we need to be discussing is trauma, mm -hmm. because um, I don't believe that any addiction, whatever that is, just happens. It's something that stems from some sort of trauma, mm -hmm. and we have to ask ourselves in this country and in this commonwealth. How do we get to a space where so many people are in a, a place where it's easier to take a handful of pills all day? Mm -hmm. Why? Yep. Why are they in that position? Right. And, you know, that's a, that's a call to our leaders. You know, like, what are we doing about that? Yeah. How do we how do we change <clears throat> that? I do want to touch on just because of my my intimate yeah. knowledge of it. Can, it can and in many cases is caused by trauma, but it can also uh, very much it's it's a disease of the mind addiction. Mm hmm. And it can very much be genetic. I've seen people come from perfectly happy homes, you know, who grew up, you know, looking like the Bradys who have fallen into addiction. And we, we the, the brain is the least understood organ in the human body. Yeah. So we, we know now scientifically and medically that it is a disease of the brain. We know that it can be come from trauma because trauma stops the way our brain develops but it can also very much come from your genetic predisposition to past family that also has, suffers from addiction and, and like i mean and just being honest like uh, i wish i had something to be like oh this just awful thing happened to me and i've just never been able to get over it but like i said I, I grew up when i thought was camelot like i grew up on a cattle farm out in bath county and like you know, I, 
my parents were together. My both my grandparents were together. Like I, it just all I did was play ball and just go, you know. And I had, you know, in high school, I had some stuff come up that was just kind of. That's kind of what led to me partying mm -hmm. and kind of just taking a. I don't. And the worst thing ever was uh, people incentivizing. I don't care. That was kind of when I just. I was like, I don't care about anything. I'm just. Yeah. I'm gonna be cool. Or I'm gonna be this. But there was never. Um, like there's not like some deep down childhood trauma thing that I've you know tried to. But I in retrospect, uh, and the more I've kind of looked at it, like, you know, and this doesn't name anybody. It's it's like. In my family, you got family goes. If you got two parents and four sets of grandma, it just keeps going. So, so this could be anybody. But like it, there are people in my family that have struggled with it, mm -hmm. and there are people that like. And then you start asking a little bit more, and you realize like, oh, well, their parents had a certain problem, and then well, they, they, you know, and it, and you go through, and you're like, oh, that makes. And also, what we define now as you know, as what we understand to be addiction, and what we understand, you know addiction can also very much um not look like addiction mm -hmm. uh the um function high functioning addicts we call mm -hmm. them and so in especially in the 50s well anytime previous to the 50 pretty much anytime before bill w yeah. and i'm not talking about the president <laughs> i'm talking about the founder of aa uh before him you know it was considered normal man comes home from work he has his whiskey we see this on tv we see this and leave it to be you know he has a glass of whiskey mom's up all day taking care of the kids doing every you know every corner of the house is you know perfect spotless no dust she's not doing you know she's having mommy's helper in the morning That's and, right. and you know doctors were like here take the, this will give you all the energy you need and it's like oh a... now you can't go to sleep take one of these you know and and that was and they didn't know that in that time some of them didn't even realize like oh I'm addicted mm -hmm. to this and to even function. look even to that point like I I uh, I mean I joke about it all the time but like I am one hundred percent addicted to Diet Coke like <laughs> I'm just one hundred percent addicted yeah. to it and like I I was in Oklahoma um I was I was tour managing for Chris Knight and I'm like on I am on like a dream deal and. <laughs> I am sitting at the merch stand, and like I had decided that week that I was going to quit. And take, I wasn't going to drink any diet coke, and I went like six days. And I'm at the end of it. I was like, I'm going to bite somebody's head off. Like I am a mean son of a gun. And it just went. And finally, you know, I realized like, I'm just going to drink one. Well, I drank one. Well, I, I haven't stopped since. You know, it's, yeah. that was last year. And as like, I was like, I don't. I probably just need to give up on it. But like. I also realized, like, you can get addicted to just something. You know, people are addicted to food. Like, I probably definitely am right now. You know, yeah. Kaniac. Like, because, like, <laughs> again, it's our, bra it's our brain chemistry. Yeah. There's something that happens when we eat, you know. I I'm going to guess that you're probably not addicted to cucumbers. No. <laughs> Fortunately not. You know, but there's things that happen in our brains when we eat certain carbohydrates, mm -hmm. when we eat chocolate, when we eat, you know, these different kinds of foods, and it alters our brain chemistry. And we can become addicted to that, not in the way that we're addicted to, you know, you're cranky, right. you're not, you know, defecating on yourself and, you know, having seizures. Right. But there is something altering your brain chemistry. 
I can meet you with that one. Uh, one of the things that uh, uh, I tell people in my life is uh, Coca-Cola, like just a Coke. And mm -hmm. I'm saying Coca-Cola or classic because if I say Coke, people might take that the wrong way. <laughs> uh, but uh, but it's one of those things that it it is such a thing. It's like I want at least one a day. Mm -hmm. And it's just, that, you know, I, there's so many things I can take out and be like, I'm, I'm good. But sometimes I need that Coca-Cola. Yeah. And it's so bad. And Pepsi folks don't hate me. But when I go to a restaurant, and they tell me, no, we have Pepsi. I'm like, oh, but that's just not the same. I'm know? still convinced that they found a way to like, like chemically co compound cocaine because you know, Coca-Cola used to have cocaine right. supposedly. Blah blah blah. Like, I think that they found a way to like synthesize so that you might not get the full action but yeah. you get the addiction Dude, from it a little bit i don't so know maybe, you don't get the please numbness, don't sue me coca-cola I, yeah. I don't really mean it i don't think that that's what you're actually doing because no i mean it's sugar we you know yeah. it's sugar yeah. it's aspartame it's mm -hmm. you know and it's for the more you talk the more you 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 are my father's long lost son we might have to get a dna test i don't know <laughs> between the football injuries and the yeah. diet coke and the music i don't know but um where was I going with that? Uh, that was making me. Oh, that's what I wanted to tell you because you had mentioned anxiety. You you said you never really had anxiety that you were aware right, of. Right. Yeah. And so it's it's because I I kind of feel the same. I so I started drinking. Probably. Well, there's a baby picture of me with a giant champagne glass when I was literally like probably. I don't know, 12 months mine old, is, like maybe a year. Mine is me being held, and it's a beer. I think it was <laughs> yeah. our age group that yeah. got that. Yeah. Um, well, I know it's New Year's Eve, and my grandma's freaking out because I actually built a tower of champagne glasses, and I've got one in my hand. Back when America was free. Right? <laughs> Freedom. But... Um, no, and so I, 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 I mean, I remember. I, I can't really remember the first time I got high, but I can remember the first time I drank. I will not name names, um, but it was at summer camp. It was bad, um, and we, we, <laughs> my girlfriend came, uh, and um, in her Foot Locker, she had uh, uh, water bottles, uh, and each one was filled with a different alcohol. So there was one was gin, one was vodka, one was rum. She had a wet bar. She yeah. had a she had a wet bar and and I th I was twelve. She had a little oh, mixer, like the little shaker. I was twelve, and no, we mixed it. We had country time lemonade, and we had country time peach tea, and we like like yeah, it was not a good situation. But that was the first time I got drunk, and I loved it. Yeah, and I drank often. Yeah. From from there on out, when I I went to boarding school, by the time I was thirteen, I was you know drinking at boarding school, and really up until probably five years ago when I met my husband, I was still I was I was a party girl, mm -hmm. and I never acknowledged my anxiety until I stopped drinking, and now it's not, but it it I have a hard time going out. Like I think I'm gonna go out on Saturday night, but I have to like prepare my brain to like. Oh yeah. I'm I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna see friends I haven't seen in a couple of years, and I I love them. They love me, but it's like that like people. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. oh I'm gonna be in public and out of my house, and I have to wear actual clothes and not pajamas, and I yes. have to talk to mm -hmm. I have to talk to people while not getting hammered. I could just be sitting in here watching my shows <laughs> in bed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. 
And because yeah, the the whole I don't get I don't drink to get drunk. I might go and have a cocktail. Yeah. Um, because I don't have that in my brain of if I have one, I have to have twenty. Mm-hmm. I can go and have a drink and go home and be okay. Yeah. That um, you know, like the I started at about you know like, and we had talked about my Facebook posts and some of that, and um, I I had when I was a I had a, a little bit different of a, a, a upbringing. Um, my parents were really well known in the community. Um, so, you know, my, um, some, like a lot of my family was in local politics and stuff. So I, there, there was, a, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was growing up and as it felt like, cause in Bath County, you know, everything's so small and mm-hmm. you feel like every, everybody's always looking at you, always judging you. Um, and I've had some, you know, I used to say that to people, it was like, I don't understand why people care what I'm doing. Like, I, you know, they don't care what this guy's doing. They don't care what this guy's doing. They're doing the same things I'm doing, but they're, they're, they're mad about me doing it. And I never did understand that. And, you know, like we, I walked off, uh, we played my junior year. Um, I, and when I say like, I had went to one, okay, this is the best example of what it was like. I went to one party my sophomore year when I got my driver's license and at the end of the, it was at, or was that summer going to my junior year? It's still to this day is the wildest party I've ever been at in my life. And, and it just, I mean, it's like 2000, probably like 10. So like there's still pills and all that stuff. Like it was, it was not like a, Oh, we're just drinking beer. It was even like, there's like other, like it was like hardcore pills, hair. Like there was everything there. And after like two seconds, I was like, I don't need to be here. Like, I need to get out of here. But we had a whole bunch of buddies with us. And there was like some other, it was, we were outside this trailer kind of having out in Olympia. And then we were having a good time. Oh, I know all about that. Yeah. And um, it like, it was just I, like, I, there was like, it was just in, it was insane. There were so many things that happened. I was like, that ain't for me. Like, mm-hmm. that just ain't me. I didn't drink. I didn't party. I didn't uh, like, I didn't smoke weed. I didn't. I came home when I was supposed to, you know, I did all the, I was working out. I walked, I, I, I was, I'd lost, like I lost everybody. All, all these college coaches told me I needed to lose 30 pounds. I lose 35. Um, I lose 35. And the day that I weighed in and weighed 35 pounds, we were in a walk through practice before dead period. The last practice of the, before we just broke, we were just going through, going through the motions and they let this kid that, he probably shouldn't have been on the team, but they kind of, they, you know, he, he, he probably should have been like the ball boy, something like that. He just pretty much out of nowhere just runs as like a, I don't know, to try to tackle me or something. He said, like, I'm just standing there and he blows my MCL out, like just barrel wow. rolls into me. Wow. And so, and I played that whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a bulging disc in my back and a torn MCL, partially torn, so I didn't have surgery on it. And the bulging disc in my back, like there were literally days I couldn't get out of bed. Like I couldn't walk. I could. There were games I got hit that I couldn't walk to the sidelines. I crawled off the field. Um, and I fast forward, you know, that next year, like you know, we were bad. We'd went, you know, our my freshman year, um, our starting tailback had like multiple D one offers. He gets arrested the day before our first game. And we go, we're awful. We go two and nine. Two and nine the next year. We're all like freshmen and sophomores. So the next year we're supposed to be really good. Uh we win the first couple of games and stuff, you know, everything's going good. And then we just it all falls apart. And like the the group ahead of us, just quite frankly, they would even say it now. They did 
they did everything wrong. Like they made all, and like that was what was so, it was so frustrating to me because they made the wrong choices every single time. Like it was, so, they were selfish. They were like, they, they were just, they were just, and they, they were, you know, that's fine, man. It's, it's high school football and things. Like if you want to go party and have a good time, that's fine. But like, it was all directed back at me. Mm-hmm. And like, and, and there were, it was, most of it was because of my dad and stuff. And like, it, it just a lot of stuff for just people being ignorant in a small town. And we lost the f- first homecoming game in like 10 years. And I'm walking off the field and like, I went in the locker room and I'm coming back out. You know, everybody's got their girlfriends and stuff. And I don't, I didn't have a girlfriend. Or I was dating a girl. She lived in Lexington. She was in college. And so, um, I, she wasn't there to take games, so like I'm kind of walking out. So I'm lonely in the first place. We just got beat. We lost the homecoming game. It was ten years. I'm the only one on the team that even knows we've won ten years of straight homecoming games. And there's a group of parents standing outside, and they're just absolutely dogging me. I mean, and I still this day, every single one of you, I remember who you are. I've never forgot you. <laughs> like, and if I'm not friendly to you, it's because of that. You can give me their names and addresses. All like their I can't give you one of them because one of them <laughs> is a um, one of them. I have to deal with one of their family members a lot. Is the nicest way I can say it. And I do like him. It's not his fault, but he has some other family members that I'm not a fan of. It's a safe, safe, safe way to say it, I guess. But we, um, I remember walking out and like I threw the last play of the game was me throwing a Brett Favre from the hip bomb like 40 yards hitting a dude wide open it hits him in the hands it hits him in the face it hits him in the hands it hits him in the chest and it drops on the ground and he's standing in the end zone and we would have won but that's my fault and I get and I get that's part of playing quarterback and being a big recruit and all that stuff everybody expects you to just pull off miracles Mm -hmm. and that I just didn't I didn't cope with that. I'm like, right. like you, you just watched that happen, and you you watched all this, and you like, we scored 36 points and gave up 37. Like, it ain't our fault. Like, I didn't get yeah. to play the other side of the ball, so I didn't, you know, I didn't handle it. And I remember I left that night, and I was so mad, and I went and texted my cousin was having a field party, and I had asked my parents if they could go, if I could go, and they were like, eh, no, you know, not really, you know, they they. They were totally against me doing it because it was, you know, quite honestly, that was out of my character, like yeah. at that time. And um, I remember I went and I took that first sip of beer, <laughs> standing around that bonfire with all my buddies and all the people that I went to school with, and it was like an old country song, you know, like those <laughs> Luke Bryan was going to come out of the clouds, you know, playing something. <laughs> and man, I I will never forget that feeling. Like I like just. It was awesome. And I felt like the world had been lifted off my shoulders. And, you know, and that just spiraled. I mean, from that, like, I showed up the next season, I weighed 60 pounds heavier than I did at the year and a half prior. And uh, it was, I always said, I didn't change anything that I, I didn't change nothing. I still worked out hard. Nope, contrary to what people believed, I worked out. When your kid was sitting at home eating Funyuns, I was doing drills in the backyard, contrary to what people believe. Now, I wasn't out here trying to get abs and all that stuff. I didn't do – but it – I was doing the things that I was supposed to, and, like, it was everything – I just – I decided I'm going to do this for me. Yeah. And it – and 
you know, that was a terrible decision. Bad idea. Really bad but that's idea. A hu- but that's a huge trauma moment for a child. You were a child. Yeah. In adolescence. As much as, as teenagers, we want to be like, oh, I'm, I'm grown. Right. Mm-hmm. You're not. And your brain's not grown. And these adults come and they, and they traumatize you. I left out the key part of this. Yeah. Topics was becoming the thing. Oh, I already know about and that. And I was, and like, it was the first, you know, I got in, I barely had Facebook. And like, I would try to, uh, like, I tried not to breed it. You know, I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to block out the haters. I ain't going to read that. Every friend I had be like, dude, did you see what they said? And they'd send me screenshots. And of course, I'm going to mm-hmm. read it. Or, hey, I, I've been I've been fighting for you, man. And they're like, well, I appreciate it. I wish you just wouldn't tell me about it. You don't right. even have to argue with them. Like, yeah. you're arguing with the computer screen, essentially. Mm-hmm. But that, like, add that to that. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, they Photoshopped. Like, I had, uh, and I know for a fact one of the people doing it was a teammate of mine. And I knew, like, I knew that it was him. Right. And people, I, I knew, you know. I, I There was just, there were little things in there that I knew was part of it. And, like, they would Photoshop my face, like, on, a, on like, a cow, you know. And then there'd be, like, all mm-hmm. this stuff. And they'd have them at games. And they'd have, you know, it was just, and, like, I'm sitting around like, man, I thought I was the most Kentucky thing in the world as a fat left-handed quarterback. Like, like that's what we're good at. <laughs> like, it's me, Jared, everybody else. You know, it's just, but it didn't. Well, you know. I'm going to share something because I don't, I don't, because again, I'm going to go back to this is my father's long lost son, <laughs> um, and I don't know if you know Do who you my know? dad is. Yeah. So I'm going to teach you, tell you a little story, okay. and you're going to appreciate it. Uh, and it's a football story. Okay, great. So when my dad was in high school, he was also a big football player. He actually, he went uh, on full scholarship to Texas Tech. Okay. I, he wasn't a quarterback. I do think defense. I don't know. I, I don't know football. Yeah. That's my trauma. Football's my trauma. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> um, Lubbock, Texas, as he is. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he was, he, well, he was, he was in Dallas. He was playing in Dallas okay. in high school. And then he went, and then he went to uh, uh, Texas Tech for college. Uh, but when he was in high school, he, uh, I don't know, fumbled a ball. I don't know what he, but he made a mistake on the field during the game. They lost the game. And from the stands, his own father, who was a severe alcoholic and abusive, screamed down at the field, you are a worthless son of a bitch. You're nothing but a big old hunk of meatloaf. And my father went on to become the meatloaf that you all know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You t- okay. Everything, everything makes sense now. Right? Okay. So that yeah. was my dad. That was one of my dad's horrific. Because then after his father did that to him from the stands, of course, his team, he comes into the locker room the next day and Meatloaf is on his locker yeah. instead of, you know, ML. And because his name was Marvin Leaday. Was okay. his born, so he was already ML. Yeah. That's what everybody called him. And, uh, so it did fit too well. And yeah. so now he was meatloaf, you know, and um, yeah. And so that, and he carried that on with him. And that's what people called him his, uh, from what, 16, 17 years old and through college. And they got him a jersey that said meatloaf, on, you know. And, but it was trauma for him, but he, he was, you know, like Just you. Back. He's like, oh, I'm, yeah, ha, 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 I'm going to joke about it too. Uh, until he got to working off Broadway with Joe Papp and and doing Shakespeare in the Park and all that that whole uh, from going from football to Broadway 
yeah. is still kind of a mystery. I mean, I get it, but it's a funny transition. But teamwork, right? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> That's true. Uh, very much. Um, but yeah, uh, and so he told Joe he was like, "Well, my, this is my real name, but." Everyone's called me Meatloaf my whole life, and Joe Papp thought about it for a second and said, if Shakespeare was alive today, then Meatloaf would be a character in one of his plays, and the name stays. <laughs> so I have a question Sweet. for you about that. Um, you say, you know, that was his trauma, and, and from the outside looking in, I see that as transmutation, like it was transmuted. So at home, as him being dad and being family, was the term meatloaf, I mean, I know he, he took that and he ran with it, but was that still traumatic to him, like at home? No, I mean, so, no, and it, I mean, it went in the in the 80s when Sony, I get the ebb and flow of life, the, the Sony records came after him for, I think, you know, $200 million, which like didn't exist in that, you know? I yeah. think he had like 40 million and he was, that was massive, you know? Uh, and they took everything. Um, but sort of, sort of similar to Tina, not quite. But when he went to court, Sony tried to claim his name. Oh, and so obviously he went back to you know doing doing you know Shakespeare in the Park with Joe Papp and pulling Raul Julia and all these people in to testify that no, we called him Meatloaf in the sixties. Mm. Uh, but Dad went as far back as to get somehow got the coach because his his father died when he was a teenager of cirrhosis and but um uh they got the football coach who was like now in his 90s to come and take the stand supposedly and, yeah. and tell the story of how that name came into cool. being and so he you know he didn't he so he got the millions and he got his name yeah that's cool <laughs> that's really cool and and you know what's weird like with mine you know i and I, my parents, like in that situation, my dad was, he his dad was really hard on him in sports, you mm -hmm. know, on things and things, just in the general on that. But like, uh, my dad was great to me. Like he he didn't say anything to me during games. He didn't. He never made things worse. Like that was his big thing. Like he would, uh, he you know, he now during practice, like he just on me, you know, and yeah. and he should be, you know, that's where I'm getting better, and that's the way I believe in that firm, but like. That was part, probably what the hardest part of all that was at that time was like uh, my parents were, were were like they didn't give me a reason to be mad at them like they were trying they were on my team yeah. and but like in retrospect like I punished them right and like that wasn't fair and like I punished my brothers and all my family like I took it out on everybody that I loved and I cared about you know and I'm just a typical you know like addict like uh, <clears throat> like story of yeah. like yeah i just flipped that script and i just made everybody that loved me hate me and you know and just made it brutal to be around and and they understood you know like what you know they thought it was terrible all you know that i had to deal with that but you know it wasn't fair to them yeah. and it wasn't but like they weren't you know my dad wasn't screaming at me out of the stands <laughs> like he was just sitting up there like i think it's crazy too man you know yeah. like it's but it um, well, good on you, good on you, Mister Mrs. Kissick. I've I, I've always you know my good job. my parents were great you know yeah. and I they um, I fought with them and you know I'm sure they would laugh and be like I don't know that I, um, that I, they they would 
like you didn't mean that you didn't believe that you know a couple years ago you know right. and it's and that's just being young and stupid on most of it. that's that's my big i'm just now getting to the age to realize how stupid i really was you well, know yeah. about about six months ago i'm 40 i'm 42 <laughs> i don't know how old you are but i'm 42 and i figured it out about six years five six years yeah, ago sweet. so All you right. know. I'm, I've, I've got a couple i'm 29 right now there you so, go. okay yeah, rolling you right got there. seven more years yeah i'm being really stupid yeah sweet no you're good yeah. So it's, we've it's dangerous. Ha- I haven't really talked to you much about your music, mm-hmm. um, which I'm remiss. I don't know how long we've already been talking. An hour and ten minutes. So how much more time do we have? I mean, we have until your phone is the first one to go. Okay. okay. So, oh, you don't know how long it is? All right, I, I do want to touch a little bit on your music, yeah. though, before we let you. Normally, our shows are only an hour long, but yeah. this has been such a great interview and a great conversation. Yes. If you get me telling stories, we'll never get out of here. Super That's relatable. Like... No, I don't necessarily. So, but I do want to. So, uh, country blues, is that? Probably be a good, yeah, be kind of a, that'd be a good sweet spot for it. Uh, you know, I just released a bluegrass record, but bluegrass, okay. that was kind of. You know, the bluegrass stuff, I, A, it was uh, rolled into, I mean, I'll be quite honest, I like, I just woke up and had like 11 Grammy uh, dominations or what, Grammy winners, like or Grammys won of people that, you know, I could work with on it. And it just, they just kind of all fell in my lap and I was Amazing. like, I got to do this, you know. Yeah. And it's living in Bath County, there's bluegrass pickers laying around everywhere and they know they know all the they've played you know if they play poppy mountain twice or rudy fest they all know each other so i mean i had um like on the album we had uh clay hess used to be with ricky skaggs um he's uh with larry cordell now and he, right after he finished that record he went back with ricky for a little while filling in for jake workman while he was uh out and uh had um, Adam Haynes on fiddle from the grass schools. You know, they had just got nominated for a Grammy like the year before that. Um, we had uh, Randy Coors, who, um, like, uh, any of Dirk Spentley, uh, he's done a ton. Like, I mean, it's, uh, he was, he did uh, Copper Strip and Blues, the one I sent you all. And, Very cool. Uh, he uh, he did all the Dobro work and all that. And uh, Jason Hill, he, Jason was the one that, and I should give him all the credit on it. He, uh, got it all set up. Um, he he knew everybody, knew ever knew all those guys. Got them to um, to help me out on doing this record. And it, it I, I'm really you know I, we had four songs. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how we went into it. And um, we I just brought these four songs over to his studio, and uh, I was like, I always want to get these tracks. So we can get a band version of them for live stuff. And um, after I got done with them, he's like, you ever thought that maybe you wrote some bluegrass and i was like well that's kind of the way i heard them but uh you know i'm i play country all the time and i play you know kind of blues stuff a little bit more um it's not it's not it, I've, we've never really gone towards the bluegrass side and i love i love bluegrass music and that's the reason why i was writing it because that's why i was just it was during covid i was listening to dave evans and tony rice and all that stuff and Got way, way, way down the wormhole on it and started, we had those four songs and we recorded them and I went home and I was like, well, I'll come back in two weeks and see what we got and see if I got some other stuff I can work. Well, I wrote those other four songs like two days later and it was just kind of all flowing and um, we wound up, we put two, we kind of changed up two other ones that we had and uh, put some steel on it. I was listening to um, John, um, oh man, I'm going to go crazy here. Uh, 
John Legs. Oh, John, no, I'm gonna go. I, I can't. I'm not he, well uh, uh, acquainted enough well, with bluegrass well, to help he, you out on he that was one. Like, uh, he, I'm over here going, John Prang. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. He, uh, I'll think of this name in just a minute. But it, it, he, uh, he had essentially done like a kind of a country blue, essentially what I had done uh, on that record. And he had some pedal steel he'd throw in and some stuff that like would drive a traditional bluegrass person insane and uh so i we had to throw some of that in at the end but. i love that though i you know music is for breaking the rules yeah yeah well i have to say um i came across the whole salt lick shuffle oh yeah yeah and uh i, I have a fine appreciation for that sweet That's... um it made me think about so i don't know if you remember this because I'm, I'm a bit older than you but because they don't do it anymore but they used to be so there's a place where we grew up that's called salt lick i've heard of it I and think so I've ma maybe it. in the spring or something maybe <laughs> we'll do some country cruising over in bath county yeah. okay right. need to go uh, to tater knob Make, okay, make take uh, up to the tower. <laughs> we'll go, we'll go to Tater Knob. Uh, but there used to be a Salt Lick homecoming, and yes. it was this whole like in the in the little town, and there was like amusement rides, and there was live music and dancing in the streets, and this was, was something huge. I remember as a kid. Yeah, it was. Huge. And they don't do it anymore. But when I heard that song, mm -hmm. that was the first thing I thought of. Yeah, I thought 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 about. It. I was like, this is this is awesome. So yeah, that was super cool. We uh, across we're that. hopefully. We're supposed to already had it locked down, but uh, hopefully here in the first of the year, I'm going to be down in Nashville and get that recorded and do it. We're going to do a country record. Nice. Um, it's probably, um, if anybody wants some advice on your musical career, uh, if you're a country artist and you're very clearly a country artist, and, uh, you know, I will say one thing. I learned a lesson. I was like, I'm going to take some risk. Maybe people will like some baritone in their bluegrass. No, they don't. <laughs> no, say, they want them all to come out with their belts tensed real tight and hit that high tenor and just, you know, just. I'm going to go again with music is for breaking the rules. Right, I mean, look, my yeah. dad had, had an amazing career for mm -hmm. 40, 50 years. I don't, I can't do math, but, you know, since 1960 something. And he never followed the, you know, he was a 350 pound mm -hmm. guy with long hair, you know, singing rock opera calling himself a sex god <laughs> so my he, you know he 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 wasn't fitting in with the jim morrisons right. at the time you know and and certainly not in the 90s uh, when you know when he made his 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 you know um commercial resurrection i said yeah. you know reoccurrence with with bat too and i would do anything for there was nothing like i would do anything for love right. when yeah. that happened in the 90s yeah. so keep breaking rules man that's what my dad would say that, that i need to keep that in mind because that you know well like like i was telling everything like with the country album i i'm glad that i haven't done it because like there are some songs that i would have definitely put on it that aren't they're just not up to it, uh, you know. And now, like I've, I do. I'm excited. Like I don't. Ha I know right now that I don't have some of the songs written that's going to be on it. Because mm -hmm. I, I can, I can just kind of like I was talking about earlier. Like I can, you know, I've, I've not written a song since May, but I can feel it. Like it's just, yeah. I need. I literally just need an hour to sit down and just bust them out. Like it's, like, and I get excited during that time. But there are you progress as a writer and you get a little bit better. So like some of those I'm probably, you know, I don't have them necessarily, like I don't have the record I have envisioned is uh, a little bit different than what it would have been a year ago. Mm -hmm. It's a lot different, honestly. And I'm glad that I had those to, you know, I had something to put out. Uh, it's a full band thing. 
You know, it's kind of like I ha- I've released that, and then I like we'd been playing all these full band country shows, and I've like got a monster honky tonk band, you know, playing behind me, and then they're like. Didn't you just release a bluegrass record? <laughs> Where's the That's banjo? Great, it's kind of like the movie, you know. If you build it, they will come. If yeah. if you if you sing it, if you record it, and it's truthful to mm-hmm. who you are, they will listen. Yeah, that's a and I need and I have like um, good examples. Like uh, I met I met Nolan Taylor right before he blew up, like two weeks before it. Uh, we were at the borough doing a deal and we just kind of, uh, we were sitting there talking because we were the only two Bengals fans in there and like the Bengals were on TV playing and like nobody, I'm in there going crazy in the borough uh, green room and everybody else just looking at me like this guy's ridiculous. And Nolan was too. And, um, but like he, in that, I remember when he played that song 68 at the, at the borough that night and I was like, man, that's just, you know, like you can just, you know, that, that first, uh, first couple lines he's like lighting up cigarettes in the seventh grade that's what my mother taught me you know stuff like that and mm-hmm. she was falling asleep we're driving down 68 you know uh and he and he's driving just to get him home you know and, I, and man that's got to be so like that's being vulnerable like and that's the it, it you don't want like you don't want to get up there and just oh, I, I i i like having a good time and you know like copper stripping blues is about a night i spent in the moorhead jail but i turned it into a funny song that's kind of my version of doing it um i've want to try to get better at being more heartfelt and things because that seems to be like if if people catch that connection now like and you know they you just go off like a rocket ship yeah i think there's something said to being to be said for being vulnerable but again I think it goes back to authenticity. Yes. So my dad didn't write his own music, right? We all know Jim Steinman was his writer for as long as the two of them, you know, existed on, on this planet. They actually passed away almost a year apart. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, but what Jim wrote was his truths. Now, he wrote in a lot of metaphors, and mm-hmm. it was all very poetic and you know he lost a great love at some point in college to this day i've known him literally my entire life i don't know if that love was a man or a woman mm-hmm. right it's you know what i mean like it's yeah. not it's not explicit in that mm-hmm. you know and um and in uh, his writing but his writing was authentically him yeah and it wasn't it wasn't graphic it wasn't obvious it wasn't you know this is my try, you know. This particular Cindy Williams broke my heart, you know. Right, yeah, and I, I've thought like that, like I've tried to do it more, like where it's it's kind of like if, when I write something to kind of be, I want to try to make this where it's for everybody, like not just do like, like I, I wrote this song called Hell of a Woman, and like I'm going through it, and like the it flips back and forth between him and her like so many times that by the time I, there's plenty of times like i mess it up and like i'll stumble over and i'll say her and if you really listen and you're like who's he what, what's he talking about right. like, who, who's doing what like, who you know but like i after i did that i was like all right never again like i'm gonna make this where anybody if if you want to if if you want to if if you know if some if you want it to be about whoever you knock that out of the way yeah but if you whoever however you want to figure it up like you it it's, can be it can fit anybody you know make that's, it universal i mean i think childers just did yes. an amazing yeah. example yeah. of that 
It's like nobody knew until they watched the video. And it's well, like, everyone oh, made, made presumptions based yes. on who he is and the fact that he's married to a woman mm-hmm. and all of the, and then with yeah. Silas's help in creating that video, oh, it can be for anybody. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's like, and you can still listen to it and it can pertain to your heterosexual mm-hmm. relationship or you can listen to it. it can pertain to you you can both dance to it at your wedding yeah (laughs) (laughs) which is what i thought it was for or or it could be a completely platonic you know i could listen to i've you know lost a lot of friends over the past couple years during COVID and family and it could be about family could be about a familial love Mm -hmm. it could be about a platonic best friend it's you know it's a beautiful heartbreaking gorgeous universal song yeah well and i think one of the things too uh what you know the experiences when when you're looking at artistry and music and songs and and the like you're saying authenticity but to be able to take that journey with someone mm-hmm. else um and i think coming out of the pandemic if anything at least what i feel or what i've noticed uh, is i feel like that people are yearning for more of a community uh whether that be their local community whether that be like not necessarily a place of worship or something like that but just that we all struggle mm-hmm. with something or or multiple things yeah. and ultimately at the end of the day when we all go home a lot of those struggles are the same yeah. they're just a different journey and i yeah. think when we can use art to be able to um tell those stories and understand them and fill them with one another i think it's extremely healing it is yeah so i'll j- i just i'm because you've already given us your piece of advice but i'm gonna ha- have one more question for you and then i want to listen to to the song mm-hmm. uh that you sent over um so I know country and bluegrass and blues. So who's an artist, a musical artist that inspires you that would surprise us? Yeah, I like this question. You know, I got I got to thinking about the when I was younger, I was and I don't know that necessarily would surprise like you would say, like I love Tina Turner. Like when I like that was my thing when I was a kid. Like I and I, and I think a lot of it was like uh that I heard Ike in mm-hmm. the in the Proud Mary, and I was like, "Hey, I can do that," you know. Mm-hmm. And like, I guess that was more. But then, then I started learning some more of the stuff, and I was like, "I'm gonna be more on Tina Turner fan." <laughs> <laughs> Just as, you know, it was like, "It's okay, chill." Made me be but, Ike at the Tina Turner tribute, but <laughs> sweet, cool, cool. It's uh it's uh but I, you know, like I grew up like I was joked. The band, the first band that I played with, was my buddies from high school. We essentially took, they were a band called Brute Force. They were a screamo band that would play down at the Ag Center in those shows that they used to have. And like, you know, we just took the the screamer out and put me in and said, now we're a country band. <laughs> and like, and was it, so was it country metal? Uh, um, we tried to do a lot of country. Um, we should have stuck to the metal. Like okay. we should, I should have left them alone. Is what I should have done. <laughs> like in the grand scheme of things, um, it was. We had a good time and everything. But like I that like during that time, I loved like um, uh, Emma Rosa and like Johnny Craig and uh, My Chemical Romance. Some mm-hmm. of those, and I know those aren't necessarily exactly the same. But like I loved like a lot of that. I don't know if. Uh, it's not necessarily punk rock or whatever. It was, it's not screamo. It's kind of we always called it emo. Yeah, I guess, e- whatever. Emo pop punk. Yeah, and like I like 
I mean, uh, my girlfriend jokes. She's like, y'all, you need to mention Hinder, uh, that, that <laughs> lips of an angel or whatever. I hear that song and I'm like, yes, like this is it. Like it's just, it's just so nostalgic. Like I just, it is. But those, but there, I, th- I feel like there's a period in our, you know, in our youth where you know some of that bubble gum, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's there. It's part. It's on the radio. It's what we hear. Mm-hmm. At school, it was on one hundred four point five. Man, like, I know, right? <laughs> it's, it's cool. It's awesome. But yeah, that would definitely, I, I like, I don't know, like, and I could go. Yeah, there's. I, that's the one thing I've, um, I've always tried to be, and I've not. In the last couple of years, I have really narrowed down, and I think it's mainly because I've really narrowed my sound down, mm-hmm. and like. I went back and got like way into the people that you would ex- expect, like Merle Haggard and all that, and going down those like, like going way down into yeah. the wormholes on them and stuff. And like, I always grew like grew up listening to a ton of those Texas songwriters and and a lot of that stuff. And so I, like, I loved Guy Clark and and Charlie Robinson and all those uh, Towns Van Zant and all that. before. And it's kind of cool again to like that stuff. Like it was like yeah. my, my little brother always talks about it. He's like, it was not cool to like Tyler Childers, uh, Chris Knight and uh, Towns Van Zant. And he's like, then I got to college and everybody wants to be listening to Tyler Childers and Tans- Towns Van Zant all day. Okay. But uh, I try to, and I, I have, I thought about that the other day that like, I really, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't really like hair, uh, rock, like hair metal and things like that. <laughs> but like, I I love like Creedence Clear. You know, those are well. Very, that's not. Th- those mean, are very generic. Hair like, metal yeah. is Motley Crue. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I, I just mean like I, there are like certain things things in rock and roll that I do. Yeah. Like I and I, I like a little bit of everything. Like it. I will say, um, I cannot stand modern pop country, um, modern pop rap. Like whatever the the I just anything that's like bubblegum. Mm-hmm. Like I just. I, I need some depth. <laughs> so, need. so you're not a Swifty. Uh, <laughs> off the record, no. On the record, don't, Every, don't get those the, people after everybody me. Everybody loves Taylor Swift. <laughs> I love her. Don't, we, all don't, love her. Don't, <laughs> we we all wear bracelets. I've seen I've seen what they do to people. <laughs> I, ha- I have to mention, uh, you had mentioned something earlier about like through that phase of like Grateful Dead. Yeah. So that wasn't a phase for me. Mm. Um, it, it it started as a phase because I'd country cruise. Oh yeah. Uh, that's where I would take a toke or two and I probably shouldn't tell it on myself. Put the top down on a convertible, cruise through peace sticks and back where we grew up, oh, yeah. there's a place called Peace Sticks and uh, that's where country, one of the places country cruise and uh, many days uh, did I listen to some Grateful Dead and but you know there's days that happen now I'm, I'm on the road and I'll flip in that Grateful Dead. I'm not token, but I'm listening to the Grateful <laughs> Dead at that moment. But you know, but I thought of it earlier when you mentioned that, and then you mentioned CCR, and that was another one that would be yeah. on that playlist. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I went through a huge phase of that, like with the Grateful Dead and all that. Um, and I, a band that I love and is, I guess, would be out there for lack of a better term, is uh, Southern Culture on the Skids. Mm-hmm. I love them, and and like. I mean, I just as soon as I like, I heard Camel Walk, and I was like, "Yep, it's." I don't know. I don't really know what this is. <laughs> this is me. I guess is what I want. I love that. But yeah, that's uh, I, it. I go. You're in for a roller coaster when you're with. You as might it go. Should be. Yeah, as, right. as as an artist, as it should be. You, uh, I, you know, we have to be open 
whatever our field of art is mm-hmm. to a variety of it's like everybody should genres. Everybody should listen to Tony Rice. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just as much as insert whatever, you know, that everybody should listen to CCR, or, you know, all that. That get those you ever you should open, expand yourself and like try to see the world. Like there are things that they talk about in bluegrass that, hey, you might hear it and be like, oh, that sounds familiar. Like, I've done that. Or, you know, that's there might be something you hear like in a rap song or something. Like, hey, I've done that, too. Like, that's. So, Done a lot more of that. <laughs> um, so what is? Uh, tell us about the song that you brought us tonight that we're about to listen to. So the song is uh, "Copper Stripping Blues." Um, I, you know, we talked on it a little bit here, and, and you know, I, I wound up getting in some trouble. Is a nice way of saying it. And uh, found how I say Moorhead has. Uh, they have the state police. They have city police. They have sheriff. Uh, they have campus police. They have park rangers. Um, they have like from the, for the forestry service, uh, they have the fish and wildlife. Um, that is my PSA for uh, Moorhead saying, if you want to go to jail, you can do it in Moorhead. Like it is, a, it's a lot <laughs> easier than what you think it is. Um, I found myself sitting in around County Regional Detention Center one night and, uh, and I've kind of go through the same spiel every time before I play it. Cause I like to give people a heads up like, Hey, here comes a song about copper stripping. And I like to see their reaction. Like you can kind of see them like looking at you. But um, I wound up sitting there listening to a guy tell me a story about a Def Le- for eight hours about a Def Leppard concert that I know for a fact never happened. <laughs> like, he made it all up. When the show's over, <laughs> I want to hear about that. Yeah. <laughs> he, um, so he finally, he's sitting there talking to us about it. And uh, he said, you know, yeah. He said, you know, I had to call into work. And, da, 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 and me and this guy looked over at each other. And he's like, called into work? He's like, you ain't got no job. Like, he's like, you, and they knew each other. And he's like, you ain't got no job. What are you talking about? And he's like, well, you know, I call in my day job. <laughs> he made a little laugh and everything. And he's, and I said, what's your day job? He said, well, it's more of a nighttime job. He said, I, I you know, I strip a little copper on the sides. <laughs> and he laughed again. And I was like, great, man. This, this is just, this is right where I need to be. Like, you know, like he just wanted, I just wanted to be anywhere else but there. He said, you know, my family, you know, they, they, he said, they're hard on me. He said, they say I'm lazy and they say I'm no good. He said, but now I'm going to tell you what. He said, I, I ain't saying it's honest work, but now, damn it, it's hard work. He <laughs> said, I, there's been some late nights I've had to work. He said, I pulled some late third shifts and I was like, God, get me out of here. And so a couple of years I got, he, I went back and I was writing, I was telling a couple buddies that story and they're like, man, that's a song. And I was like, I absolutely, and there was a part in the middle where he's like, he he said I, when and he said it to me, he said, you know, he said they call me a piece of shit. He said, but I, I I'm kind of, I'm more of a craftsman. Well, and which that doesn't rhyme, and I was like, I'm going to try to make this come close to rhyming, and that's the part I love about songwriting is you'll hear one part in here that it. It's open to interpretation if it rhymes, <laughs> you know. Like, I like it, but it uh, it makes it fun. That's and it, like I, I just I don't have any other way of doing it than just to might as well make fun of it. Like we're just we got the copper stripping blues. <laughs> well, let's go. Let's listen to some copper stripping blues. Get me through the month. 
side of town He knows all the best spots there is around It's not a work, no, it ain't pretty A time or two, it's almost killed me But I'm still here trying to get by If I could start brand new Something better to do than getting through these copper stripping blues. Enjoy that dream destination of having fun out there in the sun. Some say I'm a piece of shit. Well, I call it craftsmanship. Cursed with the talent that ain't to be desired. Sign of work, no, it ain't pretty. Time to it's almost killed me, but I'm still here trying to get by. Start brand new Find me something better to do Than getting through These copper stripping blues Shit, craftsmanship. Yeah, thank you. Know, if you say it, just it right. works. Yeah, yep. it works. <laughs> so is that on? Is that an? Is that a new release or is that? Um, is that on the exit one twenty three? Yeah, that's on exit one twenty three. Okay. So that's available that's now? available. Yep, yeah. Spotify, iTunes, all those places, uh, YouTube, whatever. You, I've got CDs. I Fame. love it. It's a. Uh, I would say when you play next, but this won't air till January. So yeah. do you have any gigs coming I, up? I mm-hmm. am. Actually, I just, Friday was my last gig for this year. So I have the next couple of weeks off. Which I, um, but we're right. January 5th, we're right back at it. So, there uh, you go. Back on tour. Just go to ClarkKissick.com. You'll find it all. That's what there. I was going to ask you. Yeah. Where can people learn all of that? Clark Kissick on Facebook. Clark Kissick on Instagram. Uh, on TikTok. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, it's, that's... I know that's where it's at, but man, I just feel old, and I just I feel wrong. You feel old. <laughs> you feel you're 29. It's just yeah, uh, I just it's it's not for me. Is what I know. I I was one of like the first people on. I was like one of the first three people in Bath County on Twitter. You know, like I I used to have like I remember on my old Twitter I had like a ton of followers and stuff, and everybody was like, "How did you?" And I was like. 
I was a football recruit, and I was just the first dude on there. <laughs> everybody showed up. It's like, let's see what Clark's going to say. And a couple of them stuck around. Unless you had a top five on MySpace. Oh, You're well, yeah. Old. Well, I, I did. Um, I actually had a Bebo before. That was my first one. Uh, okay. So uh, that was uh, that was a get on my dial up out in Tunnel Hill. And uh, I'd, uh, we had uh, we had dial up until I was in high school. Nice. And uh, But now I say that, and I, I always sound really, really old. Um, it was not because uh, – like fast internet was available. It was just not available in Tunnel Hill. Right. <laughs> that's that's called growing up in Bath County. Fair enough. Well, Claire, I want to. Well, if you don't care, I want to give him a little gift here. Oh, yes. Um, so these are what we call cannaboggins. So Sweet, um, thank you. you want to wear that with pride. Sweet. And for your aches and pains, our company, Ancient Aromas, makes a roll on called Chill. So you can shake that up and put that on your knees, feet, back, whatever hurts your elja. That'll be good. And then. I've got two pair of these. You can give one to your other half, but okay. I brought this because um, I remember your grandma in school. Yes. And uh, she, what I remember about her is that she always had like the most interesting earrings. Like we just knew that she was going to have a different pair of earrings every day of the year. And, um, her name's Mary Jane, so I would like to send her a pair of Mary Janes. I That's don't know awesome. if she'll wear them for us, but you can send them to her. Maybe not and, on school uh, days. Yeah. And, and you have... Uh, she has actually retired... Oh, good. Two, see, she retired 30 years of subbing when I was a kid. She retired 10 years of subbing, like... Uh, there's a second retirement they can do. She's, she did it, like, two years ahead of time. Then she has retired now a third time. From subbing, so I think she's finally done. Right. done. So but, she can wear those on, like, on girls' night out. Yeah, or yeah, so, on, their, uh, on their trips to the dinner bell in Flemingsburg. I think that'd be great. I think that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. But uh, yeah, so you'll have to tell us and hello That's and, awesome. and share Thank those you. with her. So yeah. I really appreciate you coming. And Thank um, you for being so open with us. Oh and yeah, sharing this has been a blast. Yeah, I really appreciate y'all having me. This is, this is a lot of fun. You know, I. I, I'm gonna be honest. I could have told you it was gonna go over whatever it was. You know, <laughs> I was I was gonna try to give you a warning when I first got here. Like, hey, if I start rambling, just cut me off. Like, I just you know. <laughs> no, but I enjoy listening to everything you had to say, and I think a lot of your story it's important for for yeah. people, you know, especially in your age group and people that come from your background and to to understand and and for people those that don't that don't yeah. understand uh, cannabis as a as a form of medical you know. Uh, healing. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons we're doing this is to let people tell their story so that people can, just like we talk about the music, finding those moments that we share, uh, someone out there has a similar situation. Yeah. And, uh, uh, or someone I, out there making laws doesn't get it. That's exactly right. <laughs> someone and needs I, to go to a Billy Strings concert. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a lot of, like a lot of fun. Yeah. To yeah. yeah. So, uh, but yeah, uh, this is uh, going to be a special episode for me just because I got someone from back home on here. But I really Good appreciate time. you being a part of this, and uh, I look forward to this hitting the airwaves. Yeah. So, so yeah. go out, get Clark's album, go see his live shows, buy some merch, and. Uh, We'll see y'all next time. Yeah. And we'll have you back on. That yeah. sounds great. Just give me a shout. <laughs> Go with me. Go with me. Come on. Get a legend.